you, choir. I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And you can find that in your Pew Bible on page 988. This is our, our last sermon in the series, looking at the, the final words of, of Paul to the church there in Thessalonica. Uh, and our series has been titled, Worthy of His Calling. And so this morning we look at these final words as parting shots from Paul uh, to the church there. Pray that it would be a, a blessing to you. Listen now to God's word, verses 23 to the end. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Lord, now as we, as we come and listen to your word read and proclaimed, I pray that you would do something that uh, only you can do, Lord. doesn't matter how well prepared I might be. Uh, these simple words on a page would mean nothing unless your Holy Spirit moves with power in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that good work. And I humbly pray, Lord, that um, words of my mouth and what's laying on my heart would be acceptable and pleasing to you. Pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. A modern-day evangelist assessing Paul's career said with a sigh, when, whenever he visited a city, the residents started a riot. But whenever I visit a city, they serve me tea. Like many churches that Paul planted, the church here in Thessalonica was born in the midst of a violent upheaval. We read about that uh, when we started the series, how an angry mob chased Paul and his team out of town. They accused him of causing trouble all over the world. Generally, people don't start riots without a good reason. And in Paul's case, they had one. Almost everywhere that he planted, a flourishing church came to life and took root, and it provoked jealousy and fear from the Jewish and Roman establishment. And this was the first, and certainly they experienced that trouble. Our text today is Paul's sign-off to his letter, the first letter to a church that he had planted. He doesn't uh, bring up all the issues that he's raised about internal conflicts in the church or external persecution that the church was facing. Uh, he doesn't review all the practical teachings of, of living in Christian community. You could read this letter in about 15 minutes, so you're welcome to do that. Uh, maybe not right now, maybe wait a little bit. Uh, but you can get all that practical teaching. It takes about 15 minutes to read. No, here at the end of this letter, he simply leaves them with, with five things, five things that have everything to do with being holy and whole, the title of our sermon. And so if you're taking notes, if you'd like to take notes, there's a blank page in your bulletin, and here's an outline for you, five things. He leaves them with a prayer, a request, a greeting, a charge, and a blessing. So if you're taking notes, you could write this down, prayer, Request, greeting, charge, 
and blessing and, and take a few notes. And what I'd like us to do is focus on the prayer in verse 23 for the bulk of our time. And then the four things that follow we'll briefly touch on as we prepare to celebrate communion. Okay, so the first thing that he leaves with them is a prayer. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Simple question, uh, but one that was a struggle for many people in the first century and even today is a struggle for many. Who was Paul praying to? Who was he praying to? This church was made up of people that were uh, coming out of pagan backgrounds. Some of them were Greek intellectuals. Some of them were from a Jewish background. Who was Paul praying to? Well, he was praying to the living creator God who formed man out of the dust of the earth, Genesis 2, 7, and breathed life into him, giving him and giving all of us as humans a, a, a physical body and an immaterial spirit or, or soul. And so the deepest part of you is that part that can connect with and see and enjoy God. That is your, your spirit, your soul. And we can have a, a, a longer discussion over, over a cup of coffee about spirit and soul. But there are two parts of us. There's our, our physical body, and then there's the invisible part. And that's the part that is designed to connect with and see and to enjoy God. And so he's praying to the creator God, the living God. He's also praying to the holy God. God who is holy, holy other, distinct from everything that he's made. And I imagine there are people that were in that first church and some of them had a pagan background and so they would think, well, there's a God of the ocean and there's a God of the wind and there's a, a winter God and a spring God. And so Paul is making clear that they understand in the midst of this church that this would have been, I'm sure, one of his Sunday school lessons in the church no, there, there is one God, one true living God, the creator God, who is holy, holy other. And as the holy one, God is also a judge. And he acts in judgment against our sin and the consequences of our sin. Namely, those consequences are that we do not connect and we do not enjoy and we do not see or savor the glory of God. What's amazing about grace is that this God, the one true God, the creator God, the holy God, the God who is a judge, has chosen to act in our favor to justify us, legally to declare you forgiven by his son paying the penalty for your sin. That was Paul's message. And now, through the Son, we can know this creator God, this holy other God, this God who's a judge who's way out there. We can know God as Father. Because not only does he declare something legally, he adopts us as his children. He adopts us into the family of God. That is who Paul is praying to. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been justified and you've been adopted into his family. And those two things happen the moment you receive Christ. You did nothing to earn that status. You were declared innocent 
and you are adopted into God's family by grace alone. Those two things happen in an instant, but now, now where are we? Well, from the moment that we receive Christ to the moment we die, if you're a Christian, you're being sanctified. That's a big fancy word for being made holy. By the Holy Spirit working in your life, stirring your affections for Jesus, making you more like Jesus. Now look to the person beside you and, and give them a good look. look. Look at the person sitting next to you. Do they look like Jesus? What do you think? You see, well, gray guy looks like Jesus. He's got the beard. <laughs> He's got that great laugh. You know, looking like Jesus has to do with the inside out, that transformation, and, and God is doing that good work within us that we would see him and that we would now enjoy him and that we would live according to him. Now, the Holy Spirit aims to make us like Jesus, to draw us into a special relationship with Jesus, according to what Colossians 3 says is our new life. Now, how many of you grew up going to Sunday school? I, I didn't, but if you grew up going to Sunday school, and did you hear that Jesus is your Savior? He saves you from your sins, yes? And that he's to be your Lord? Lord of your life, that you're to, to follow his lead, yes? But so many of us did not hear that he is also to be our life. Our life. Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4 says, You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so it's more than just Savior, and it's more than Lord, although those two things are enough, aren't they? No, even more. He is our life. Now, if you've tuned out of my message so far, tune in now, because this is very important. This is what started a riot everywhere that Paul went. You see, there were already plenty of religious people of the day who talked plenty about being holy and holiness. And there were many other men that claimed to be a Messiah sent by God. They were all over the place. There's history of those people. And when they were arrested and executed, as they all were, just like Jesus was, what happened to their followers? Well, they faded away. They ran. They disappeared. And in that day, there were plenty of philosophers of the day. And they talked plenty about a higher order of man, that there's a, a base level of man and then a higher order of, of man. That wasn't new. You talk about that kind of philosophy, you're going to get a tea or whatever they served at the time. They'll live this way and you'll be blessed. If you live this way, that you'll be condemned. That message was not new. But this message about Jesus, a Savior and a Lord and a life, this was the message that said the Messiah was crucified on a cross, but he raised from the dead, and he is now living and reigning from heaven, and he is king. And that's what caused a riot. When Paul and his followers said, he is king, and he lives, and you must surrender your life to him, and that only Christ can keep you blameless until he returns, 
That's what provoked the establishment to beat the snot out of the apostles. You talk about living right. You could have gotten 2,000 years ago a list of 20 things that you should do to, to live a good life and to succeed. You could have found all kinds of philosophies to live by. Only this message was the message of a living Savior, a Lord, a new life in Christ. And it confused, and it upset, and it stirred up resentment among the establishment. That was the message. And that message has everything to do today in your life with being holy, with being set apart for God. And it has everything to do with being whole, with being a whole person, without being one person on a Sunday morning and a different person Monday through Saturday. It has everything to do with being a whole person, of knowing peace that passes understanding and not feeling confused and being one person on the outside and another one struggling on the inside, but experiencing shalom, holistic peace. That's what it means to live the Christian life. So Paul was praying, may Jesus from first to last be your life. He was praying, may Jesus be your everything. And later as Paul's thinking and his experience in Christ grew and grew, his focus became more and more centered like a laser on Christ, even as his theology deepened. He wrote these words in Colossians that before him, he was before all things and all things hold together by him and he is the head of the church. He is the firstborn. Paul said he is preeminent. He's numero uno. He is the goal of all of life. And so our new life, day by day, is being renovated by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. Paul was praying that this little church, this, this little family, would experience God's peace in trusting Jesus, even though following him did not mean they would be wealthy. He wanted them to experience that peace, that wholeness, that, that holiness, even though following Jesus didn't mean that they would be wealthy or healthy. Didn't guarantee any of that. That Jesus is all they needed no matter what. That was the message that started a revolution. That was the message of the gospel, that no matter what happens in your life, Jesus is enough. And so Paul prays God would sanctify them thoroughly, completely through and through, keep them righteous till Jesus returns to take them home. He's asking the Holy Spirit to keep working in them and through them, through their obedience, and through the pulling of the Holy Spirit to transform their life from the inside out. So by, by your obedience, by, by trusting in the Lord and the working of the Holy Spirit, that renovation continues. And so what happens when you mess up? Do you go back to square one? Is it shoots and ladders? You, you hit the, the chute and you go all the way back to square one? No. No. He says, come to me. You're weary and heavy laden. He says, call upon your father. And he will give you good gifts. We've seen in this series that since the Holy Spirit brought us together as brothers and sisters, that we live together as a family 
And that an essential expression of this family is true holiness. That you cannot have holiness without love, and you cannot have true love without holiness. You gotta have them both. You have to have a holy life and a whole life. And for those outside of the Christian community, the visible signs of love and holiness will be a powerful expression of the gospel to an unbelieving world. Now, somebody, maybe someone in the choir is saying, Pete, you got all that from one verse? Yeah, that's, that's all from one verse. He's saying this is the new life, the new life that you are called into by grace, and he's praying that this will happen in your life. And then verse 24, well, what happens when you, when you mess up? He says, the one who called you is faithful and he will do it. It's a great comfort when I fail and flail and mess up all the time to know that he who began a good work in me will see it to completion. So Paul signs off with this prayer and it's the first uh, exhortation of living a holy and whole life. And then he follows it with four points that I want to just touch on briefly They're they're an extension of this prayer, a request, a greeting, a charge, and a blessing. And what I would suggest is that these could be application points for Holy Week, which is just around the corner. So first, verse 25, look there with me. His request, please pray for us brothers. Friends, listen. Prayer is the most important thing that you can do to encourage and support the ministries of Nielsville Presbyterian Church. Absolutely, hands down, top of the list. If you want to support and encourage and see God do what only God can do in this church, we need you to pray. So encouraged this week going to a a prayer gathering of pastors uh, who want to reach D.C. for Christ. There are about 23 of us gathered uh, in Annandale, wherever that is, uh, praying. I don't know. I still don't know geography around here. Uh, What do we do? We, we, We confessed our sins to one another. How about that? Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, okay, let me just expose my heart. Here's my sin. The Bible says to do that. We pray for one another. Paul Abbott, the pastor at Cedar Brook up the road in in Clarksburg, he sent me an email. Pete, how's it going? How can I pray for you? This guy's got a huge church. He's got got lots of things to do, and he's asking me on this week, two weeks out before Easter, how can I pray for you? What an encouragement. And then I passed it on, and I saw signs, maybe you've seen those green signs for a new church plant over in Middlebrook. I contacted the pastor there. Let's meet. I'd love to get to know you. How can we pray for you? So pray for the church. Pray for one another. When we feel unholy and broken, we need to pray for one another, especially with Holy Week just around the corner and with Palm Sunday. Then he leaves them with a greeting. Greet all the brothers, and in that is brothers and sisters. Greet them with a holy kiss. Notice there's no favoritism. There's no discrimination. Greet everybody with a warm embrace, a family embrace. And this makes me think about Monday, Thursday, the service we're going to have that, that will be a celebration of communion, a celebration of our love as brothers and sisters in Christ. This greeting of a holy kiss of love and affection, it, it was first seen in the church uh, in, in a written form in the second century and continued for centuries and centuries and then it became sort of a formal, let us now pass the peace. And now it's turned into a a handshake and a hello. So much deeper than that. 
love one another, to share God's love with each other. And more than that, invite a friend to church. Think right now of a neighbor or co-worker, someone on your street, someone you, you know used to come to Nielsen and haven't seen for a long time. Invite them to come on Palm Sunday or one of the services during the week or on Easter Sunday. Verse 27, he gives them a charge. Make sure my letter is read to everybody. Remember, he's talking to everybody. He has words for the leaders. He's got words for those people that are idle in the church. He's got words for those that are faint-hearted. He says, read it to everyone. The preeminence, the importance of God's word read. And that makes me think about Good Friday. On Good Friday, we're going to have a tenebrae service. That's just a wonderful, beautiful service. The choir will be there. We're going to sing. We're going to listen to God's word read and proclaimed. Come on Good Friday service. And finally, after a prayer, a request, a greeting, and a charge, he leaves them with a final blessing of grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He started the letter with grace, and he ends the letter with grace. It's the one word that best encapsulates all God has done and all that God is doing and promises to do in our lives. And our theme for all of Holy Week is amazing grace. Easter is all about grace. If a local church is to become a gospel church, it must not only receive the gospel of grace, but it also has to pass it on and embody God's grace in community life and mutual love. The revolution of God's grace and holiness continues today, and we have been conscripted. That means you've been signed up. You've got your number. You're on the team to lift our voices and to stand unashamed for the gospel. Nothing but the grace of Christ can save and restore what was lost. Jesus is enough. Jesus is all you need. And so here's my prayer for you, Nielsville. That may you live so aware of the sanctifying power of the Spirit in your life with no doubt that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. And may you be freed from your guilt and shame of trying to be perfect, of trying to justify yourself before you come to his table and instead simply trust and obey Jesus and live at peace with everybody, do the good works assigned to you, and live to the glory of the living, ruling, reigning Lord Jesus. And all God's children said, amen, amen. I'd like you to take your hymnal, that big old blue book in front of you, open up to hymn number 467, How Great Thou Art. Let's stand and let's sing, How Great Thou Art, hymn number 467. Thank you.